2: Yes, the effort to cancel William Penn. That's right. The National Park Service announcing that they are getting rid of all remnants of William Penn from, yeah, his his own place. I mean, from the city of Philadelphia, from the place they designed to honor him. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. What does this mean, and uh, do we have to change the name of Pennsylvania? That is a question as well. Here to discuss with us... Oh, we got her. There we go. There we go. Got to make sure we get her walk-up music going. Otherwise, we won't have any fun. She is the former deputy national security advisor to President Trump. She is the vice president of the Davis Institute of National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. And most importantly, she's a Philadelphia original just like William Penn. Well, he came here, but, you know, you get the point. Dr. Victoria Coates, hello, my friend. How are you? Rich, good to be
0: talking to you again. I think maybe most pertinently for this discussion, I do have a Ph.D. in art history from the University of Pennsylvania, which we would have to call something other than Penn if this change goes through. True.
2: So, yeah. No, you could not say Pennsylvania. You'd have to just say Sylvania, I guess? Yeah.
0: Well, or somebody said today, could we call it pencil, like P E N C I L, Vania?
2: Mm. I don't like the image that evokes. You know what I mean? No, it's bad. It's bad, especially as a guy. All right, now uh, <laughs> why why is uh, the National Park Service canceling William Penn when you consider the fact that uh, he was a peaceful Quaker and uh, fled religious persecution and wanted to be a friend to all and encourage people to be friends to all? What what is this really about here?
0: This is, this is really extraordinary. So I think most people know Welcome Park uh, down on 2nd Street. It's on the site of Slate Roof House, which was the 10th uh, house in Philadelphia. And on the 300th anniversary of the incorporation of Pennsylvania in, in 1982, uh, the decision was made to build a park there. It had, it had, it had been a – the Slate House was built torn down in the 19th century. Actually, there was hue and cry over that. The Preservationists were already saying this should be preserved. It's torn down, a, a, a business building was put down there. That was torn down, I think, in the 60s. So it was just a blighted space. And the city decided to install this park in his honor about 10. And, you know, by today's standards, he was a progressive in his own time. He was a advocate for peace. He was an advocate for religious liberty. He was an advocate for uh, making treaties with the Native Americans in, in Pennsylvania. And so they they built this park. It was designed by Robert Venturi and Denise Scott Brown, probably the greatest Philadelphia architects of the second half of the 20th century. And they installed in the centerpiece of it a, a miniature version of Alexander Calder Sr.'s William Penn from the top of City Hall. So now they have decided, for whatever reason, the National Park Service will turn their eye to this very benign, nice spot and remove the William Penn because it is not inclusive or welcoming enough to all peoples.
2: I, I don't, I, you know, th- this seems to me to be just another effort of the left to once again erase our history. And as you pointed out on Twitter, and I think you're correct on this, it's really to erase Western civilization. Because William Penn is bigger than just the United States of America. His ideals and his thought obviously inspired the founders and inspired the writers of the First Amendment. But uh, it, it's bigger than that. It, it is a concept of Western civilization that the left seems to absolutely hate. And it also plays into this false narrative that we were founded in supremacy and we were founded by by you know killing the Indians and all these other lies they keep telling as they try to erase uh, American history and rewrite it so that they can— transform our country into their Marxist socialist utopia.
0: Right. I mean, remember just last week, uh, the AP was accusing the American, American founders of having brought scalping to the colonies. Uh, remember that on the reporting yes. on on gray. So, so, so they are, you know, they are trying to take away any culpability uh, there and, with this move against Penn, they're going after somebody who predates the existence of the United States. Another thing that had to happen in 1982, or didn't have to happen, but President Reagan decided to give honorary citizenship to William Penn and his second wife, Hannah, on that anniversary again, that doesn't happen every day. That's actually pretty rare. And uh, he he did that though, to acknowledge the fact that even though they were never Americans because there was no America, that, that their spirit had imbued our nation. And so, you know, this just means there's no end to this. It's, I mean, because I was talking to our good friend Lee Smith about it on, on Twitter because Lee was saying, oh, they're going after the founders. Like, no, this means they're going back behind that. It, I mean, Washington, Jefferson, absolutely, they're in the crosshairs, but they're they're going to keep going after that. That's what the signals. And I think at this point, what we do is say, absolutely, no more. Yeah. Like this ends here. There is no excuse for any of this, and what we're working on at the Heritage Foundation is legislation to prohibit any funding being used by the National Park Service for this purpose.
2: Good, excellent. I, I'm glad to hear that because <laughs> that that no, really. I mean that that the, the entire. I know. It's, I mean, cut it off. Cut it off. Absolutely. Look, you know the, the the idea of religious liberty, the idea that that the state can't force you to violate your religious beliefs in things like freedom of expression. You know, they can't force you to bake a cake. They can't force you to use the wrong pronouns. They can't force you to make wedding invitations if you don't believe in these things or it violates your religious beliefs. You know, the, the left hates that. They They, they want to be able to impose their will on everybody. And, you know, the notion of having freedom to live your life according to your religious ideals which i think is something that william penn conveyed something that the founders were inspired by obviously what the first amendment really means it doesn't mean separation of church and state it doesn't mean we just get to worship on you know for an hour on on a sunday we get to live our life according to our religious convictions and ideals well they they hate that you know dr victoria coates they hate that the idea that that a coach may pray at a football game and students may 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 want to actually take part in that they 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 want to be able to say no to that they tell us to actively express ourselves in ways that violate our beliefs by doing things like baking cakes in the case of Jack Phillips or by telling us things that we can't do, like a kid who wants to pray in school and say, no, you're not allowed to do that, even though that, that child has every right to be able to pray before a math test like I did at every math test because I never studied.
0: Well 100% and I had my own issues with math tests and prayer was the last refuge of scoundrel in that particular case but <laughs> but overall you're you're 100% correct and they you know they do not agree with these with with you know the bill of rights they they think that there's certain types of speech that are permitted there's certain types of worship that are permitted but certainly not freedom of worship not freedom of speech not freedom of assembly you know, that was the president's message in Valley Forge, that some assemblies are dangerous and shouldn't happen. And he's going to be the big defender of our democracy against this. And ultimately, it does, you know, for, for those of us in Pennsylvania, go back to William Penn. But again, that's not going to be the end of it. And you're going to see arguments uh, from the left on this that, oh, it's the, the Calder is a copy. It's, a back, it's called a maquette, which is a miniature bronze version of a large one. But if they're successful here, guess what they're coming for? They're going to come for City Hall. So I think everybody in Philadelphia who cares about William Penn, who cares about what that statue means to our city, has meant to our city, you know, the identity of Penn with Pennsylvania, what he meant to the founding, you know, this, this has to end here. And so, you know, this is what I'm going to be working on uh, for the next couple of weeks. We're going to try to get it just shut down. And point out that this is utter
2: nonsense. Well, and I think it's particularly infuriating, too, that, you know, they just once again made this decision unilaterally. You know, they're just doing this without telling us. But then at the same time, uh, they they, they ask for input on the redesign as if they really care. But this decision was made with no input from local leaders whatsoever, as far as I can tell. Uh, was made with no input from the Pennsylvania state legislature, representatives in Congress, the, the people. It's I mean nobody. I mean it's just the Biden administration acting unilaterally. And I remember years ago. When the debate was going on about removing the statues of Confederate generals, I kept saying on the air at the time, this is not about Confederate generals. They will not stop until they ultimately go and remove the founders and the document that they wrote, the Constitution of the United States, because that's the guardrails that that keeps the left from being able to have their tyrannical rule over all of us. That's what they ultimately have their sights on is that document, the Constitution of the United States of America. So, yeah, you know, it's William Penn today and then tomorrow it's City Hall. And then ultimately it's the National Archives where they want to get rid of the Constitution because they argue it was a document that was founded in the name of white supremacy, slavery and uh, the the uh, genocide of Indians, et cetera, et cetera. And so how can we honor that document? I mean, that that ultimately is what their what their goal here is
0: hundred percent. And I think every lawmaker in Pennsylvania needs to answer for this to this. I would like to know what our new mayor has mm-hmm. to say about it. I would like to know what Senators Casey and Setterman have to say about it. I would like to know what Governor Shapiro has to say about it. I would like to say, see, Harrisburg take some swift, swift action. Heck, I'd like to know what the editorial board of the Inquirer, if there is still one, uh, has to say about this. Do they support this? Do they think this is positive? I want to know what their argument is. And so I I do think for those of us who love this city, you know, who love our somewhat messy, uh, sometimes loud, difficult, but ultimately, I think freedom-loving character, you know, are we going to let this happen? Are we just going to, you know, accept the fact that our betters in Washington are going to dictate to us what our history is? And I just, the answer to that has to be a resounding no. No.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. And I I did look up what uh, Josh Shapiro tweeted about this. Uh, The last tweet that I can find about William Penn was on November 13th of 2023 when he said the following. 342 years ago, William Penn founded Pennsylvania as a place of religious freedom, tolerance and understanding. This hashtag World Kindness Day. Let's recommit to those values and work to be compassionate, kind and empathetic to our neighbors. So it seemed to serve their purposes a while ago, uh, but now suddenly it, it doesn't anymore. So maybe he'll come out and remind everybody that that's what William Penn actually founded Pennsylvania on. And as governor of the of the Commonwealth, he's going to make sure that the National Park Service does not do this. Maybe he'll say something. Uh, and, and John Fetterman, by the way, of all the people you named, he's the one most likely to say something, given this transformation that has occurred to John Fetterman, where he's saying things like the border's an invasion and Harvard's a bunch of pinkos. I mean, if anybody's going to say something, it might actually wind up being John Fetterman. Well,
0: it it might. And then we we were discussing that today. Now, I would like to see Senator Fetterman start voting the way his rhetoric is going. He did vote not to bring the standalone $13 billion Israel supplemental to the floor Uh, after literally walking back from the mall, from the Israel, -Israel, pro-Israel rally, wrapping himself in the flag of Israel, he walked back and voted against Israel Aid. So I would like to see that change. I'd like to see his vote on border issues change. And I'd like to see his vote on, you know, whatever we cook up to propose on uh, Park Service funding. I'd like to see that change as well.
2: I have a question for you. When the Secretary of Defense goes AWOL, just goes missing and doesn't tell the president of the United States and doesn't tell the secretary of state. And we have, uh, you know, the Houthis who are who are firing missiles at our ships in the Red Sea. And we've got, you know, Putin sending nukes to Belarus and we've got all these other issues happening. How problematic is it that the death just goes missing and doesn't tell the commander in chief? This, this has
0: been one of the most extraordinary 72 hours of my life Uh, that that since the story broke Friday night, I think after we talked. But this is unconscionable. There's no parallel to this. Uh, The closest I can get is Al Haig announcing he was in charge after Reagan was shot, you know, and, and sort of taking matters into his own hands and making decisions. Cabinet secretaries don't get to do that. And having worked for Secretary Rumsfeld, I know that in when 2006, when he had his rotator cuff surgery, there was a process. They informed the White House. They scheduled the sur- surgery. Everybody was notified. The press was notified before the procedure. He signed his full authorities to his deputy, then Gordon Eklund. And when his doctors declared him out of the anesthesia, Gordon signed them back to DR. And so it's not like this is unprecedented. You know, if the secretary goes into the hospital, there's a process. And also, the people who found out about it, I guess, one day later, his chief of staff and General Brown, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, they did nothing. She had the flu, so she didn't tell anybody until Thursday. And I don't know what General Brown was doing for those days, but anybody could, at any point, look at a member of the secretary's security detail, his Secret Service, and say, go down to the secretary's car, which is in the garage of Walter Reed, make a secure call to the White House Situation Room, and tell them what happened.
2: Yeah, because That's isn't there a process... I mean, isn't there a process where if, if we were attacked or if we needed to attack, the president and the secretary of defense would probably have to have a conversation? I mean, I don't know the exact order of the chain of command here, but it seems like he would be an, int- an integral part of the process.
0: He would be, because... Having served on the National Security Council staff, what we do is we serve the National Security Council, which is what is chaired by the president. The Secretary of Defense is an integral part of that. And in the event that one of the multiple attacks that we sustained, Martha McCallum told me today it was 13 attacks during the time that uh, that Austin was AWOL. If something had gone awry, the president would have said, convene the National Security Council. And what we would have gotten is the acting undersecretary of defense for policy. Not even a Senate-confirmed individual, mm-hmm. because the deputy was down in Puerto Rico, and the secretary was in the ICU. And nobody knew, and so nobody was prepared for this. So this was incredibly dangerous, wildly irresponsible, and the president is holding no one accountable. He, yeah, said, and he, he said today. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. They said he. If, if they said if Austin offered his resignation, he would not accept it. That's how out of touch and out of control Biden is.
2: Yeah, and the whole thing just looks—it's so amateur hour. I mean, whether it's it, it's the ineffectiveness of Mayorkas, whether it's this fiasco that happens, it, it just seems like this administration is completely and utterly incapable of 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 riding the ship here. I mean, it, it's little things like this that make make a really big difference in things and people's perception. The other problem, I think, that the left really has, uh, the media have with this, is that they had to cover this story when all they wanted to do was focus on January 6th, their High Holy Day. Uh-huh. So they got in the way of that, <laughs> and I know that they're very annoyed about that.
0: Oh, of course. I mean, you know, you want January 6th to be, you know, to be 24-7 coverage of how America democracy is in, in, in peril. But, I mean, I just wish I could ask the current president, are you or are you not the president? Yeah, you are. Right. So so it didn't happen. So what you're protesting, what you're convinced Donald Trump is going to do did not happen. So this is all invented. And one can have one's views on January 6th, but you can't say it had any lasting repercussions. So, yeah, their their special day was ruined. And that's sad for them. And I'm sure they were all very disappointed. But I think for the rest of us, you know, this is a really, really serious wake up call. That something is fundamentally wrong, you know, and it's like the NSC staffers protesting outside the White House. This can't be permitted, but yet the president does permit it. No one is ever held accountable, and at some point, we're going to stop being lucky.
2: You know, the uh, last question I wanted to ask you was the uh, the, the, the talk about standalone israel aid which is what should happen and there should be an up or down vote on standalone aid to ukraine we've talked about that instead of lumping all this stuff together and then there's a piece of it about this humanitarian aid for gaza and the wall street journal has a piece about this where they they talk about the fact that you know your aid dollars are going to palestinian terrorists and giving the preferred rulers of gaza um they still pay monthly stipends to murderers i mean why why are people not having that conversation dr victoria coates
0: no, it's it's absolutely outrageous. And the president said today down he was at the church in, in South Carolina that had the sh- horrible shooting a couple of years back, and there were protesters, of course, outside protesting for for the uh, for Hamas. And he said to them, it was, it was extraordinary. He said, I've been trying behind, quietly behind closed doors to do everything I can to get Israel out of Gaza. So. Basically, he wants to get the Israeli military out of Gaza, and he wants to flood it with nine billion dollars of our tax money. And I can only imagine what would come flooding out of Gaza if that is permitted to happen. So, you know, I don't like a government shutdown more than any more than the next person. But this is this is outrageous. This can't be allowed to pass. The the House has to stand against this. And, and as I said, we strongly support as heritage, you know, standalone aid uh, support for Israel and aid for Ukraine, and that these things need to be separate from uh, H.R. 2, from the actual border security legislation that the House has already passed and could could go to the Senate at any time. You know, there is no reason we're stuck in this impasse. And I think Speaker Johnson needs to do you know what only he can do, which is use some leverage on the part of conservatives to slow this down and stop this thing
2: amazing amazing stuff always a pleasure my friend dr victoria coates we appreciate it philadelphia's own let's save william penn thank you my friend take care
3: the rich zioli show on talk radio twelve ten WPHT.
2: All right, and the big story of the day today is that I will be on Jesse Waters' primetime tonight at 8.25 p.m. to talk about the William Penn statue. That is the big story of the day, and it is brought to you by Venaria Dental, Dr. Mike Venaria. So if you want to see my smile that Dr. Venaria gave me, tune in to Fox News tonight at 8.25 p.m. for Jesse Waters' primetime. That is the big story of the day. I like
4: that the big story isn't that the National Park Service is going to remove William Penn from, uh, from Welcome Park. It's that you are going to be on Fox News to discuss it.
2: At 825 on <laughs> Jesse Waters Live. <laughs> I'll be watching. Uh, you'll be watching. Henry, will be watching the national championship game tonight. I might tune in. I should have asked Victoria Coates about um, the Eagles, but I didn't want to bring up anything depressing. We were we were talking about such happy stuff. I didn't want to bring up a depressing topic. <laughs> that game was a total bummer. Oh my! Uh, we're, it's over, right? I mean, that's it's it. over! It's over, ladies and gentlemen! You've been waiting for that all day, oh, haven't you? Oh, yeah, 100%. You? As soon as I walked
4: in the building. saw that somehow the Vegas odds makers have the Eagles
3: as the favorite right now to beat the Insane. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Insane. which is nuts.
2: Yeah, two and a half points,
3: right? It's And it's going down fast. It's a one and a half. Use promo car, code GREGGREG Greg on FanDuel. Get that bet in. Pet Shameless. the Buccaneers. Shameless. You can't bet against the Eagles. I, I, I don't want them to win at this point.
4: Now, I thought about placing a bet against the Eagles because I really don't think they're going to win. Uh, yeah. But... I don't want to be in a position where I'm rooting against them. I wouldn't enjoy it. It's that better game. for them.
3: I think it's better for them if they do. I, you know, it, it pains me because it's probably me. Jason Kelsey's last game. Maybe Brandon Graham's. Maybe Fletcher Cox's as well. But this team is broken. It's over. They've been found out. Uh, that's it. They can't run anything on offense. Everyone knows what's coming. The Bucks secondary is terrible though but their in front, fairness the front front 7 is great and that's all they need to do is just blitz i think the all, biggest it's all, it's all the giants did yesterday is blitz and the eagles had no answer i think the biggest issue is that even if they were to win what is your grand prize you just get annihilated right. the following yeah. week
4: against dallas or san francisco yeah, that team, doesn't seem like that two teams
3: that you hate that these this these fan bases hate each other i i can't stand the cowboys i can't stand the 49ers so let's get it over with this week i don't want to i don't want to have them holding that over our
2: heads well I don't I, my question is this. Whose job is in greater jeopardy right now, Lloyd Austin or Nick Sirianni?
3: <laughs> Brian
2: Johnson is
4: definitely gone, I would imagine.
3: Yeah, Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator, and Sean Desai, everyone. all The whole coaching staff is pretty much gone except for Stoutland. Nick Sirianni is on a very hot seat. I mean, if they don't have a somewhat of a good showing on Monday night, yeah, he might be gone. This It's crazy because he was in the Super Bowl last year. I saw people on Twitter saying the Eagles should go get Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, you know, if he wins the national championship tonight, he's out of there. He's out of, he's out of there at Michigan. He could be someone. Eric Bieniemy out of Washington. There's a lot See of that. He would be we're right we're already moving offense. on. See, we're already moving on. It's it's sad, but it's the truth. This season just spiraled it, out of control. He, they lost it. By they,
2: the way, uh, speaking of spiraling out of control, apparently the, the um, uh, committee hearing with uh, Fauci today, spiraled out of control, they said he doesn't recall basically anything.
3: Oh, just like Jelaine.
2: Yeah, just like Jelaine Maxwell. He's pulling with Jelaine Maxwell. Yeah, I can't they said recall. The COVID committee chair, Brad, Brad Wenstrup, on, on Fauci's closed-door interview, said what I'm most surprised about is how much he doesn't recall, considering the severity of this event for the world, and that he was the face of the government's response to COVID. In a 14-hour, he has 200 pages of questions that need answers, and he apparently doesn't recall anything. <laughs> That's so. Maybe bad. he'll become the new coach of the Eagles. <sighs> Did I do the big story yet? Big story is I'll be on Jesse Waters tonight, prime time at eight twenty-five p.m. You got it. So I got to run out of here, and I got to put on a, a coat and a tie, and I got to sing "Fat Guy in a Little Coat" <laughs> on the way there. <laughs> no, that game was bad yesterday. I, you know, and it's it's depressing too because. We look, We started off so strong. You know what I mean? Yeah, we started I mean, off so strong. It's, it's it's not a talent
3: thing. That's that's what became like. As soon as there's more film on the Eagles, people started realizing. They're like, wait a minute, they're they're running a high school offense.
4: Supposedly, yep. they were the first team in NFL history to start ten one and not win twelve games. It happened one other time. Oh,
3: okay. But still, that's embarrassing. They
4: had an extra game, though, I would imagine. Cause now, yeah, and they had yeah. an extra
3: game to do it, too, because it was 1986 with the Jets. game season, yeah. And they they ended up getting crushed in their first playoff game. So Horrible. Awful. Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, is that why they're canceling William Penn? Is it because of the Eagles? I mean, it's possible.
3: <laughs> that would be... <laughs> That would be the biggest evidence yet, I'd say. the, you know, the most. Yeah. It's
2: like some dis- National parks Service fan lost a lot of money and was like, that's it. I'm canceling William Penn now.
3: How could they lose to the Giants? Right, he's at it.
2: Yeah, it, it's done. It's over. And I'm going all out. And I can't cancel the Eagles. I'm canceling William Penn. That's that's their ultimate revenge.
3: There could be an argument
4: made that they're the worst team in football right now. Them or the Panthers. Or the Jaguars. They <laughs> melted
3: down. The Jaguars too. did have a meltdown.
2: It's just the problem is that everybody wound up saying over and over again that uh we were the, we were going to go to the Super Bowl, we were going to have a big watch party, you know what I mean? Yeah,
4: yeah. I thought for sure they were going to make a deep playoff run, especially after they beat the Bills and the Chiefs in those back-to-back comeback games. That, and uh oddly it's enough, all downhill
3: since then. That loss for the Bills ended up, you know, propelling their season forward. They got the 2 seed in the AFC. They won they pretty much won out. And the Eagles pretty much lost out. I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up in the Super Bowl. Yeah. It, those se- since that game, ev- those two teams' seasons have gone complete different directions. Eagles down the toilet, Bills through the roof. Hmm.
2: That's a shame. That's the worst news of the day, honestly. That and the fact that Cow- Howard Stern has COVID. Because, I mean, you know, we're so worried <laughs> Poor about it. I think We hope he can it. get through. What's that? I think he's recovered. He's recovered? Yeah. Somebody I- call him the king of all masks. I like that. <laughs> remember he used to call himself the king of all media the king of all masks
4: he's definitely not the king of all media anymore i don't know of anybody that listens to that show
2: mm. speaking of people not listening to a show Nikki haley's doing a town hall meeting on fox news right now <laughs> speaking of people not listening to things all right uh did i do the big story by dr venaria no all right so the big story by dr, <laughs> dr. mike venaria is that i'll be on fox news. <laughs> i can't say shameless i can't even all right do i have to take a break now yes all right i'll take a break and coming up encore interview of terry hayes the great author our event coming up we'll give you all the details you want to be there for it it's going to be fantastic i'm so excited and now i'm going to run home and put on i'm going to change my clothes and i'll be back live again tomorrow at three and in the meantime if i didn't tell you i'll be on fox's prime time with jesse waters tonight at age 25 all right we're coming right back Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast
3: from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app.
2: All right. You know, years ago, I read a book that I absolutely fell in love with. I could not put it down. And I've been waiting for the sequel for years and years and years. And it's finally, finally out. Just about out. And I'm so excited. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. The book I read years ago that I loved is a book called I Am Pilgrim. The author is Terry Hayes, and his new book is almost out, and I want to welcome to the program Terry Hayes, the author of the brand-new book, The Year of the Locust. Terry, thanks for joining me in Philadelphia. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, congratulations on, number one, writing a book that was absolutely amazing, I Am Pilgrim, uh, and, and finally getting the, the second book out because I know people like myself have been waiting I mean, seven years or so for this to come out. So we're so happy it's coming out.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, it took longer than I thought. Um, but, you know, I, I've got four kids and I owed them something. I think I I went to a lot of cricket matches. I saw more performances of Aladdin than any father ever has to go through. And, uh, yeah, and it's a complicated story, a lot of research. But I got there in the end, Rich.
2: That's great. No, it is. And, and your books are riveting. I mean, the, the first book, I Am Pilgrim, uh, opened my eyes about ISIS in a way and, and terrorism that I, I'd never really read before. And I'm halfway through the year of the locust. I, I can't put it down. I mean, the aspect of uh, a CIA agent going, you know, so deep into uh, Iran like that undercover, it's just it, it's it's riveting stuff. And it, it's all happening in real time, Terry Hayes. I mean, that's the beauty of your writing is You're writing as if I'm reading this happening like today, for example.
1: Yeah, that that's a bit of a trick. You know, I, I used to be a journalist, I was a foreign correspondent, a political correspondent, lots of things, and then I made some movies and that but I've always had an interest in current affairs and I I've been lucky twice, Rich, you know, that tapping into things that are sort of what we used to say in the old days in the movies, you know, ripped from today's headlines. But yeah, I I've been fortunate that I, I've tapped into some very hot topics you know in, in current affairs and I, I think it's really helped the books
2: yeah and, and where does your knowledge of because i mean your your knowledge of the cia for example and your ability to really pull back the curtain and let the reader know about the inner workings of the of, of the intelligence community with, with its its flaws and uh and 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 all the 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 bureaucracy but also the the talent of the individual agents for example i mean where does that all come from? You, you, you yourself did not come from that life. You were a journalist, you said.
1: Yeah, yeah. Al- although, you know, when I want to be an evil person, <laughs> I tell people that I was a journalist, but I was really a spy. And you'd be surprised at the number of people that believe me. You could not meet anybody less like a spy than me. I talk too much, Rich. That's my problem. <laughs> if, if the enemy asked me a question, three weeks later, I'd still be talking. I'd still be explaining things. So I'm not given to, to that life. Now I. when I was a young reporter, or I, I was 21, I... I you know, the organization I work for, an Australian newspaper group, um, me the youngest foreign correspondent uh and I went to America in, in New York. I, I was the youngest Australian correspondent foreign correspondent ever, which was sort of something to be proud of. But better than that, they gave me an apartment opposite the Dakota where John Lennon was living, which was pretty neat for a kid from Australia. They also gave me a credit card. Can you imagine? How stupid were they? They sent a (laughs) 21-year-old to the US and gave him a credit card, you know? So anyway, one of the stories I did was about Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War and the part that the CIA played in getting australia into that war and i met quite a number of people in the agency some of whom had left recently at that time and it it sparked an interest for me because you know it's where where politics diplomacy and the real world all collide. And then so I've had a lifelong interest. And I've met lots of people who have worked at various intelligence agencies. And, you know, I, I read a lot. And, and I know how to use the internet. I know how to research. I know how to find things out. I was an investigative reporter. So you put all that together and you come up with something in the books that seems pretty close to the truth, I hope it is, and you know what you were saying about it uh, about is a great compliment to me. You know, I, I mean, it really is, and uh, so you know, that's that's one for me on the scorecard.
2: Well, you know, Terry Hayes, when I, when I read I Am Pilgrim, and I remember this because my my son Patrick was only a few months old, and we were down in Florida, and my son was having all these issues, his digestive issues. We we, we couldn't find the right formula to give him. Uh, and my wife and I refer to that time as the troubles because it was a very very tough time. But your book—I yeah. mean, I couldn't put your book down, and she would yell at me sometimes, like, "Would you stop reading, please, and come in and help me?" But that's how good I, a Pilgrim* <laughs> was. Oh, truly. And and I learned more about the caliphate and ISIS. And you you don't hold back. I mean, there's nothing politically correct about your writing. I mean, you you bring it right there, and you you know you don't you don't apologize for these bad guys. I mean, you you put them right on display, and. I was just—I mean—I couldn't put it down, which explains why the book was a number number one global bestseller. I mean, it was it was a massive success, and I, I predict the same is going to be for the Year of the Locust. Uh, but that's the thing—I mean, you you don't you don't hold back. I mean, you you make some very very—I would say—good villains. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but you write villains pretty damn well.
1: Well, thank you very much. You know, your good guy can only ever be as good as your villain. And I, I think the problem that a lot of people who are working in the same genre as me, they decide that the good guy is really villainous and they take away all motivation and they sort of make him a bit of a paper cutout figure. Well, that's fine, except that that means your hero doesn't have to stretch himself I think one of the good things about Pilgrim, there are many things that are wrong with it, believe me. I mean, I won't reread it. I don't want to live with all of my mistakes. <laughs> but one of the good things about it is that the, the hero is up against somebody who is as intelligent and resourceful or perhaps even more intelligent and resourceful than our hero is. So it's a bit like, you know, do you want to watch Muhammad Ali fight Sonny Liston and Sonny Liston takes a dive in the second, or do you want to see him fight Joe Frazier? And it goes 15 rounds, you know? So I went for the Muhammad Ali at his, the top of his form fighting a guy who is almost as good and possibly better. So, yeah, I I think that... And, of course, part of that was you lay it on the line. The the hero's a flawed guy. He's got problems. But, you know, the bad guy is, you know got a very very bad plan so yeah i, I think it, that was one of the reasons the book became as successful as it did um yeah and i'm very thankful for that don't get me wrong
2: no i i i i know you are and I, and I can tell you know what a genuine guy you are and i'm excited to host you in person i'll i'll give the details on that in just a moment the new book the year of the Locust. So the, so a, a, a guy who is with the terrorist organization winds up have, getting information about a spectacular plot that's planned against the United States of America, and the mm-hmm. CIA learns of it and has to figure out whether or not it's real. And so they send this, this CIA spy to go into, an, and how do you describe it when they go to a place where the agency basically won't own it and it, it, the guy's on his own?
1: Yeah, they're called denied access area spies. These are really brave men and women. Believe me, this is not a job that you want to sign up for. But, yeah, so they go into North Korea. They go into the bad parts of Russia. They go into Iran, you know, into Yemen, anywhere where, you know, there's no help. There's no hope or help if you if you get unmasked. Now, that's a pretty tough Assignment, you know, but that—that's that, his job. That's what he specializes in.
2: It's just—it's—it's it's remarkable when when I'm reading this and I'm thinking about that. If You know, something happens to you. You're on your own. There's there's no nine one one to call. There's no rescue team coming in. You're you're because you're not. The United States no. is not going to acknowledge you're there. So you're on your own here. And 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 this whole idea of following this this courier to find out if he's telling the truth. And or whether or not he's just Mm -hmm. hosing the United States of America. And then what this guy is planning to do to the United States of America, even more spectacular than 9-11. And but but before you can even get to a place where you where you you can find out this guy can get the information back. He's got to go through Iran. I mean, he's got to go through the like the back country of Iran. And Terry Hayes, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but the way you write this and you're describing this to me. I was, I was uh, like, terrified for him as I'm reading this, going, my God, at any mo- moment, he's going to get discovered by the Iranians. Like, the people that think we're the great Satan are going to capture this guy, and they're going to kill him, or mm-hmm. actually killing him would probably do him a favor.
1: Oh, yeah, they're going to torture him first. I mean, without giving... Oh, well, did we lose, Terry? He's still there? Yeah, you know, Relatively early on, where a person gets crucified. Now, you know, crucifixion is not putting somebody to death. It's actually killing them by torture. Yeah. And anybody, anybody that's seen a, you know, Passion of the Christ may by my dear friend, Mel Gibson. If anybody's seen that, they know what you go through. So, yeah, he, he, it's a bad place to be. And funny enough, I was speaking to a guy uh, two days ago who is uh, very closely associated with American Special Forces at a very high level. And uh, he's he's been into Iran and Syria and lots of other very, very dodgy places. And he was complimenting me on how, accurate the descriptions were and things like that so you know that's where the research pays off richard that's you've got to give it that you know you want the readers to feel like oh my god i'm there not that oh, uh, some guys watched a youtube video you know
2: yeah and you and and to learn something from that terry hayes is also key you mentioned your dear friend mel gibson you worked on road warrior you worked on mad max Two with him you helped write this stuff. I mean, yeah. your, your credits for writing and producing are amazing. Dead Calm with Nicole Kidman, which was a, was a very terrifying <laughs> movie. Uh, Payback, <laughs> Road Warrior, uh, uh, From Hell, I think <laughs> you worked on as well. I mean... Yeah, with, with Johnny, yeah. Johnny Depp. Yeah. How, how did you... I mean, how did <laughs> you... Uh, did you like... I mean, working in Hollywood and, and writing some of those movies that were such massive successes. And for, for some great people, by the way, I mean, Johnny Depp, Mel Gibson, people love these guys. Uh Nicole Kidman, yeah. I mean people love them, so that must have been just a, a blast. No. No. <laughs>
1: it was Rich I wish it was well you know yes I'm very proud of the movies yes I was very young and I think a couple of the movies are actually very very good and and that's wonderful but and you know I made some movies in Australia and then I went to Hollywood and I, I made other movies and did lots of other work you know Slice Malone and Cliffhanger Flight Plan with Jodie Foster lots and lots of movies Hollywood is not a pleasant place to work Mm. It isn't You get very, very well paid But it it can grind away at you So, you know, I, I got to a point where I sort of got a bit sick of dealing with people in studios And, you know, taking notes and trying to adapt things And I thought, well, it's going to be a lot better and a lot more rewarding if I just write what I want to write. Now that's very difficult to do in the movies. Maybe a few great writer directors, Chris Nolan with Oppenheimer, uh, Ollie Stone at the very top of his career. Yes, you can do that. But for a person working primarily as a writer, you're always being rewritten people are always coming up with what they think are brilliant ideas. And, you know, last year they were working on wall street this year. It's more interesting. They're working in Hollywood, you know? So I I decided to go and write novels. Um, I got paid a lot of money to write movies. That was great. And I told my wife that I was going to go and write novels. Sure. That's good. I hope you're happy, you know, wonderful. Um, any idea of how much you get paid? I said, no, not really. And she said, well, you know, you're getting north of a million dollars a script. Any idea with the books? I said, no. Anyway, I sold the first book to to Simon Schuster in America, and uh, they gave me an advance of $80,000. And That's I, less.
2: To my wife,
1: yeah. I, I said, I think our lifestyle is going to decline a bit. She said, How much? I said, A real lot. I said, I think we're going to have to, we didn't have any kids then. I said, I think we're going to have to start looking at the price of things. I, I think we can't we just go in and say, Oh, yeah, we'll buy that. And uh, yeah, it was tough there for a while, Rich. It, it was, you know, I mean, it was a massive adjustment, both creatively, financially, emotionally you know, and very lonely you know, you sit in a room for years just staring at a screen your only friends are the characters Uh, whereas in movies, you know, you make a lot of friends, you deal with some brilliant people, directors, actors and they become you know, you become a little community so it's very, very different Um, but you know I I struggled on you know, it sort of turned out okay in the end
2: well, it certainly did. I'm excited to learn more and talk more, and I want to get into details about what it was like to film Road Warrior and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and of course, talk about the new book, The Year of the Locust. And that's why I'm so honored that you're going to be joining me in person, February 7th at Rosemont College in Bryn Mawr for our very special night together, Terry Hayes. I'm I'm excited, uh, thrilled actually, to be able to host you for this, and I'm um, I'm loving the book. And everybody who comes will get a copy of the book, and we'll get to. Uh, see you in person and say hello and, and listen to our chat together. So I could not be more thrilled. February 7th, Rosemont College in Bryn Mawr. And uh, I can't wait to see you in person.
1: Thank you, Rich. The same here and uh I'll make sure I, I clean myself up and I dress nicely. Um, <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to it.
2: Don't get too dressed, Terry. We're all down to earth here. I promise, buddy. Don't worry. <laughs> Great. All right, Terry Hayes. Thank you, my
1: friend. Thank you very much, Rich. You have a great day. Rich Scioli, weekday afternoons 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the Free Odyssey app.